good to be back here. I appreciate being invited. And Nancy had every intention of coming with me. She woke up not feeling so great and uh, went back and forth. Kind of decided at the last minute maybe she should stay home. So I am flying solo. Um, she might be watching online though. So uh, where's the cameras? <laughs> So hi, sweetie, and uh, I'll give her that little Carol Burnett thing, tug on the earlobe. And um, if you could turn, please, to 2 Kings chapter 6. Second Kings chapter 6. Pastor John was talking about how things are going in this world, and sometimes it's hard to watch, and um, and yet at the same time, we kind of know that things are going to go that way eventually, and so here we are. Um, it's uh, I, I want to ask the question this morning, how do we serve the Lord in a culture that grows increasingly hostile to him? And to us, this is pulling a little bit, there we go. And uh, that certainly, I think, is going on in our culture today. I, through, through my life, I, it, it seems that church folk, Christians, you know, been kind of looked at as church folk. Oh, they're nice, clean-cut people, people you can depend on, you know, nice people and stuff like that. And now... Um, it seems like we're becoming the enemy in the eyes of some people who are very vocal uh, about it because we stand for things they're against and we stand against things they're for uh, politically and socially. And it's not that you don't find non-believers who are nice people. Maybe you've got some very good friends who are non-believers and they don't have a problem at all with, with your faith in Jesus. Um, I certainly don't want to create any kind of paranoia this morning as I'm thinking about these things. Uh, but the world around us, at least the voices that have the microphone so often, uh, entertainers and politicians, and, and now the, the news media uh, goes a lot in that direction. Um, the ones who control the narrative, they seem more and more critical of people who follow Jesus. I mean, we have people in office in Washington who speak angrily about those who offer thoughts and prayers in a crisis. That, ten years ago, I don't think I ever would have thought. I mean, people might think that, but they don't berate the citizens of the country for offering thoughts and prayers, and yet you hear that today. And over time, when that message is heard again and again and again, people who might not go in that direction on their own start to think, wow, those are weird people. Those are people we need to be afraid of. We need to keep our eye on those Christians, you know. And, and, uh, and it can't help but have an effect on the way society at large thinks. And so here we are. Uh, God is still God. His word is still his word. The church is still the church. 
and we are called to serve him. How do we serve God faithfully in a culture that may marginalize us? Who knows how far that will go? And maybe even more than marginalize us, but actually become hostile toward us and our faith. That goes on around the world. Other Christians face that. We may face it too at some point. So how do we serve God faithfully in a world that is hostile toward what we are seeking to do? The prophet Elisha encountered that thing, and he is here to, in, in our passage, he's here anyway, to help us. So we are in 2 Kings chapter 6, and I'm going to start off just reading the first uh, verses 8 through 15. We're going to spend our time in the verses to follow that, but this sets the stage. So we read, once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, at such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. The mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Elisha was serving the Lord with the prophetic ability that God had given him. And through that ability, he knew what the king of Syria was plotting, even though he wasn't with the king of Syria. So the king of Syria would plot to go get the king of Israel this way, or go get him this way, or there, or then, or whatever. And Elisha would warn the king of Israel. And so the king wouldn't go there. <laughs> and it was frustrating, the king of Syria. And so he becomes angry with Elisha, who is doing what God has given him to do and has enabled him to do. He was serving God with the gift God gave him, and the world hated it. Hated it. So, Syria sends... And, and this is kind of comical when you think about it, but Syria sends this massive army to get this one guy. <laughs> Just one guy. God's guy. 
God's man. And so we look at that. And we say, whatever will Elisha do? He, how can he get out of that situation? And what he will do, as we will see, is he will keep on serving the Lord with confidence. Keep on serving with confidence. We're going to learn from him this morning, and we're going to see three confidence boosters for serving God in this world. Things that were true for Elisha and are true for us as well as we seek to serve God in a hostile world. And one confidence booster I want us to see here is that God's servants are encompassed by God's safeguards. God's servants are encompassed by God's safeguards. If we continue on in verses 16 and 17, Elisha says to the servant, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha could see that. The servant at first couldn't, and the Syrian army, of course, can't. They are convinced they've got the upper hand on this one guy that they have surrounded. But God's servants are encompassed by God's safeguards. The safeguard here is the army of angelic hosts that God has sent on Elisha's behalf. What the servant saw was what any of us would see. He wakes up in the morning, he goes outside, and whoa, we're surrounded by Syrians. That's what any of us would see. And yet Elisha, he was walking by faith and not by sight. So he, he saw that too. But he's trusting in the Lord. He's walking by faith and not by sight. And he knew that the huge Syrian army was dwarfed by an angelic army. There were more with him than there were with them, as he said to the young servant. And so he carried on accordingly. He carried on in the knowledge of the fact that an angelic army was there on his behalf. You know, you, you watch sometimes on the news, you, you ever watch like when presidents go out, they're giving speeches, not in controlled places like the White House or something, but they, they go out on the road and they give speeches and, and, um, I, and yet they look like they're not worried that anything can happen to them. And I sometimes look at that and I and I think, boy, how you how you not like <laughs> doing that kind of thing? It's like somebody could be anywhere it seems. And yet they are surrounded by secret service agents who are highly trained and highly skilled to protect them and keep them alive. And so the secret, the, the secret service agents, there, there's an army of them 
going before the president, sitting beside the president, following after the president. You see the presidential motorcade sometimes, and you might see these guys in suits running along beside the car. And they aren't just running alongside, they're running and they're looking in the crowd and they're looking in the windows of buildings and things like that. A team has gone in before the president and gets on that motorcade. They know exactly the route he's going to take and they've swept the place. I hear they, they like look down manhole covers and things, you know, I, I, I don't know if that's just Hollywood or if that's what they really do, but they have their eyes everywhere watching out for the president. And so the president with bodyguards at his side steps up into a podium and speaks and laughs and jokes and, and delivers and without ever looking like he's concerned about anything. Because he knows he's surrounded by the best protection he can get. And as good as the Secret Service is, what you and I have the safeguard of God, the watch care of God, is infinitely better. Uh, consider these passages. Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Hebrews 13, 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. So there are angels around that... We don't even know they are. You know, some, sometimes a person might be an angel. You, you just don't know for sure. So that, that's how prevalent the presence of God's angels can be. Uh, Jesus, in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we have the presence of the Lord with us as we're seeking to serve the Lord and do his will and represent him in this world. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them as they were looking to go into the land, this is said. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And that promise is made to Christians in Hebrews, Hebrews 13, I believe, um, that he will not leave us or forsake us. So whether it's through his angelic host or his own personal presence there to watch over his people, we just know that we're never out of his sight. We're never out of his care. We're never out of his knowledge. Whatever's going on in our lives, whatever's taking place around us, now, does that mean that when you step out to serve him, you'll never be humiliated? You'll never be harmed? You'll never be killed for serving the Lord? Well, that happens to people. It has from the beginning of the church, and it still continues to happen today. And so why? If we're under his watch care, if we're under his safeguards, why? Well, see, God doesn't safeguard us the way the Secret Service and their limited abilities safeguards the president. The Secret Service, their job is keep him alive in this life, time and space. 
this is the existence and the four years or eight years he's in office, we protect him and keep him alive for that. But God looks at us and he sees not only this life, which he knows the end from the beginning, our days are numbered in his book, but he sees not only this life, he sees our existence through eternity. And what he will do with us, for us, all along the way. And so God knows that if something happens to us in this life, well, if something happens to us in this life, then what happens to us if we're in Christ? We go be with Christ. And so God has just promoted us, taken us into our reward. Um, Matthew 5, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. That tells you right there that uh, being under his watch care doesn't mean that none of that's ever going to happen. Jesus says you're actually blessed when that happens. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. See, Jesus is saying, somebody might say, how could that possibly be a, a blessed situation to go through that? And Jesus says, because there's more to it than this life. Your reward in heaven is great. When you serve faithfully in a hostile world and the hostile world turns against you and thinks they've done away with you and what you're trying to accomplish, Jesus says, they're going to do away with me. They're going to do away with my plan, no matter how it looks on this earth. And if they take you out, you've got a reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There's a higher purpose than safety. There's a higher purpose than just staying alive. Uh, it's been said that the, the, the highest aspiration some people have is just to die in their sleep, you know. Uh, there's a higher purpose than that. And Paul knew that. Paul lived his life. You think of Paul in, the, in, the, in Philippians, and there he is in the jail. And, and what does he say? Does he say, man, I serve the Lord. I'm so, I, I've laid my life on the line. I don't turn down any opportunity. And where is he? How do I wind up in this hole? He doesn't do that. He, he writes out, he says, it's actually good that I'm here because there are people here who are hearing the gospel from me. There are brothers and sisters here who were intimidated and being silent. And through my example, they're now speaking up in the gospel and the gospel's going out in this place. And so that's, that shows you right there that Paul, who said uh, um, to live is Christ and to die is gain, he, he views the bad thing that's happened to him not as something to blame God for, but he views it as a ministry opportunity. God has sent me to a place where the gospel is not. And so now the gospel is here. And to view life that way, knowing that God has got your life in his hand and he's got a plan for your life, and whatever that plan is, whether it's something that you would 
rather have not gone through if you were plotting your life out yourself or whether it's something where there are accolades or anything in between. If it's done for Christ, then it's valuable and it's not only valuable, it's, it's good. And it's what God wants done in this world. In the light of eternity, the world cannot truly harm you. Maybe you know the famous quote from the early Christian, Justin Martyr. I've probably said it here, I don't know, makes it into a lot of my messages. I may have said it here every time I've spoken. But uh, he, he writes to the emperor who's persecuting Christians. And he says to him, you may kill us but you cannot harm us. Just chew on that for a little while. You may kill us, but you cannot harm us. God's servants are encompassed by God's safeguards. He, it's, it's not helter-skelter. It's not willy-nilly. It's not out of his control. He's not seeing something happen to us and then freaking out and saying, oh, how did I let that happen? I got to get him out of this situation. No, he's, we're in his hands, safe in his hands. A second confidence booster for serving God in a hostile world is the God's servants are enabled by God's power. If we look at verses 18 and 19, And when the Syrians came down against him, see, the angels are there, but the Syrians still come after him. And, and you can face that, even when God is watching over you. When the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way. This is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria, which was the capital of Israel. Yeah, so you're looking for the king of Israel? I'll take you there. And so he leads this blind horde, this blind army, uh, on to the capital of Israel. The victory in this moment comes from the God to whom Elisha prays. Elisha certainly can't inflict blindness uh, and on an army and, and totally neutralize their ability to do anything. So he prays to God, and God takes care of that. And uh, the Syrians had been afraid enough of Elisha because of this ability he had, this prophetic ability, that they sent a whole army after him but the power was never in him. It never came from him in the first place. The power of God enables one man to lead a blinded army right into the capital of Israel and to do so without any threat to the nation of Israel. It's unmistakable here where the power of God comes from. And, and God's word is filled with evidence that God empowers his people. He empowers his people to serve him. Uh, think, of, think of Israel 
leaving Egypt. And they're on their way out, and oh no, the Red Sea. So there's the Red Sea in front of them, and the Egyptian army has assembled and is bearing down on them. So they're, they're trapped in here. What are we going to do? And Moses takes the staff and holds it out, and the sea parts. And that's not because Moses had the power to part the sea. It's because God worked his power through Moses to make that happen. And then they cross through on dry land. The sea comes down on the Egyptian army, and there they go. Off into the wilderness, they go. Power of God. Think of when they got into the land, and then they took the city of Jericho, this fortified, walled city, and and uh, with a battle plan that if you're just looking at it from human terms, it's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You march around for seven days, and then seven, you march around seven times, you blow your trumpets, and you shout, who came up with that? Well, God did. <laughs> and it, I think it's a way of showing that that, uh, okay, you do this, you do it my way, and the way I tell you to do this would never in a million years bring the walls down, but the walls are going to come down, and you're going to know that I brought them down. And so they do that, and it happens that way, but then they get filled up with a little bit of pride, and there's a little town of Ai nearby, and they, they think, oh, we've just taken Jericho. This is easy part cheesy. So they just send a handful of troops over there, and they get routed going out in their own power, thinking they can pull it off. But power comes from God. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is Gideon. And you know, Gideon raised up by God to, to, to drive out the Midianites who are oppressing the people of God. And so you know, they call for men to come and have an army. They get 32,000 men and and that seems like not even enough to go against the Midianites because they are described, I think they're down in the valley, and their camels are as many in number as locusts. So I don't know how many soldiers they got down there. And, and yet 32,000, that's what we got, that's what we're going to go with. And God says, oh, no, you don't. And then God whittles them down, send, send the ones who are afraid home, let them go home, you know. And, and then they wind up with 10,000, and that's still too many. And then you know, God wills it down, and they wind up with 300 soldiers to go and do this. And it's because if they had gone with a large number, they would think that they had done it. And God wants them to know that he is with them, he is for them. And the power they have to overcome this mighty army comes from him. Over and over and over again. You think of the men Jesus called as his apostles. Those guys never got it. Um, Gail Irwin. I, I, <laughs> I've heard Gail Irwin so many times say he thinks the reason Jesus picked those 12 guys was so that when they went on and did these great things after Jesus went back, went back to the Father, everyone would know that God did it <laughs> because these guys can't possibly be pulling this off. And, um, and yet, that's who Jesus chose. And he said to them, 
before he ascended, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Acts 1.8. And then we go along and we see we have spiritual gifts, which are gifts from the Spirit, to be able to serve the Lord, to be able to build up the body of Christ, to do things that we might not have ever thought we could do, we might not have ever been able to do, and yet the Holy Spirit working through us and putting us in ministry situations, and we find, wow, we can do this. And it didn't come from me. <laughs> the power is from God. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, and here's the part for us to grab onto, for apart from me, you can do nothing. It comes from him. So here we are, these finite people living in this temporal age, time and space, which is in itself not, not eternal. And, and how can people like us serve a God who is eternal? Only by his power. So, Elisha here is not teaching us, go therefore and pray that your enemies will be blinded. Uh, in that situation, that was called for. He's a prophet, it's a specific situation, but God still empowers his people in other ways to do other things in other situations. I, he might... He might bring to mind something to say when you're in a tough situation. He says, the word says he will do that. And, and then you go away and you're looking back on that situation. You're thinking, wow, where did that come from? I, I'm not that smart. <laughs> or he might dissolve fear that wants to overwhelm you and keep you from stepping out. And yet you say, I need to step out here in the name of Jesus and you go in spite of that fear and then you find you have boldness. God working in your life. He might penetrate hard hearts that you're thinking that, that person's not even worth reaching out to. There's no way on earth that person will hear the message of the gospel or will receive anything from me in Jesus' name. And yet then you find the heart softens sometimes and places that you would have never gone if it was just up to you. Actually, God does something there. So step into opportunities, do it for him, seek his help and trust him because it is he who empowers us to do what he calls us to do, what he wants us to do in this world. So God's servants are encircled by his safeguards. God's servants are enabled by his power. And then our third confidence booster, God's servants are examples of God's mercy. We've all known mercy. And so we can all show mercy. That's what that's getting at. Verses 20 to 23 as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. 
So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? He answered, Shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He's really into striking them down. He asks it twice. <laughs> he answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast, and when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. The king wants Elisha's blessing to destroy the enemy, and Elisha says, no, let's show mercy instead. Israel's king has the enemy dead to rights. They came in looking for him to kill him and or capture him at least. And we might say, he could just, he can do this. He's got the right to do this. Elisha says, bless them with food and send them home. God was merciful to Israel a lot of times. Elisha is showing Israel how to be merciful. And the Syrians went away. They didn't circle back. They didn't try again. Now they would be back. This is not saying they went back and, and the king said, oh, wow, those people were so nice to you. We'll never bother them again. Because in the very next verse, it says, afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. But these little... These little raids to come in and try to capture the king and everything. This, I don't know, secret, maybe guerrilla warfare, clandestine stuff, whatever it might be. He just, they're still his enemy. He still hates them. So this, this mission was turned away. They left without doing what they came to do. Perhaps there was a time of waiting where it says they came, they didn't come anymore on raids. Eventually, though, they start acting like enemies again, but this time they're like, okay, we're just going in. We're, we're, we're going in at war. And God can handle that, too. He's not limited by how large the army is. You know, when I was in the 11th grade, I worked at a at a um, at Derwiner Schnitzel. I don't know if you're familiar with them. John's probably out, out in California. They're big out there. There was one in Tampa, and I worked there. And so there was a uh, a girl who started working there from a rival high school. We should have nothing to do with each other, but I got a big crush on her. I took her out on a date, started hanging around her house, calling her on the phone and stuff. So. It looked like things might be starting to develop. She had an ex-boyfriend. And her ex-boyfriend, we had never heard of him in our high school, but in his high school, he was pretty well known for being a, a bad guy, or a, a, at least a strong guy. And um, 
I, I heard a story after I got to know her that he, he played uh, on the baseball team there, and I think he played first base, and somebody slid back into the base and, and hit him with their cleats, and he took off his glove and just right there in front of everybody just beat the tar out of the guy. And so that's the kind of guy he was, and um, he didn't want to be broken up with her, which means when he hears there's another guy <laughs> taking her out, he's not happy about that. So he's hanging around causing trouble, and I'm trying to just hope he goes away because I was never a fighter. I was bigger than most people, but I still wasn't a fighter. I was a little afraid of it. <laughs> and so one night, I... Um, I was at her house, and we were saying uh, goodbye at the front door, and he comes walking up into the yard. And he's like, you know, what are you doing going out with him? You know, and, and uh, so I'm just standing there. I got my hands in my pockets, seeing how's this thing going to go. And then he just, while he's talking to her, he sucker punched me in the jaw. <laughs> Didn't see it coming. Knocked me off the porch. I uh, caught my balance. My glasses go flying into the yard. And so I, I'm like, I guess it's on now. <laughs> so then he came charging at me, and I was able to grab hold of him, wrestle him. Some guy I'd gone to junior high school had always said, when I get in a fight, I don't try to box people. I wrestle them to the ground and sit on top of them and punch them. So that, <laughs> that I, I, I don't think I had had any fights since that guy had told me that several years earlier and that's what I did I he came at me I grabbed him I threw him on the ground I sat on top and then I'm just bam 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 and and I don't know if there was even any force behind my punches it was it was just like like this but he still was he's I, I still I, I was looking at him while I'm doing that and he's under there his face is scrunched up and he's trying to get his arms up and kind of and I felt bad for him so I thought, okay, he probably knows now that he shouldn't mess with me, so I showed him mercy. And I got off of him. And he bull rushed me. <laughs> and down we went again. And then he's like punching me in places, you know, he's poking his fingers in my eyes. I wound up with a totally red eye. Uh, and... Um, Eventually, I, I beat him, and the neighbors had called the police, and they pulled us apart. And um, But that act of mercy was not received. It was, take, it was taken advantage of. And, you know, that happens, but ours is not to determine, well, is this person going to receive my mercy, or is this person going to take advantage of my mercy? Regardless of how an enemy responds, when we are merciful... We are reflecting God's nature. If we are to be Christ-like, that's going to include mercy. If we are to represent Christ in this world, and we are, one big way to do that is to be merciful, especially when no one else is being merciful. It's a powerful testimony. Persecution then actually becomes an opportunity to minister by showing mercy. Because you can't show mercy unless you're being mistreated somehow, right? <laughs> and so that mistreatment becomes an opportunity. Now, I know, I know you can get worked up and it's like, and we're going to fight back and everything. And, and uh, 
sometimes, uh, I don't know, the way we talk on Facebook and stuff, you might think, wow, that's not a very merciful person. But, uh, but you know, to show mercy to a person who has tried to harm you, tried to bring you down, maybe destroy your reputation, that's a powerful, powerful testimony. And, and it can be hard to do. And this is where we need the grace and the power of God to be able to do it, which we've just seen he gives us to do the things that he wants us to do. Some people might only be reached by receiving mercy from somebody they expect to fight back with them. And here we are, we are people, our status as God's children, the fact that we can even talk about these things is because of his mercy toward us. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done. It's by his mercy he saved us, Paul wrote to Titus. We are recipients of mercy. It becomes then our privilege to be like him toward others. What we have received from him to show to others. It's a privilege and it's a calling. In the Sermon on the Mount, both in... Uh, Matthew's version and in Luke's version. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And in Luke 6, 36, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So there we are. We're reflecting his nature. We're reflecting his character. When we are merciful, sometimes only with an ability to do it that he gives us as we step out in faith and show mercy. So we've seen here in Elisha this morning three, three confidence boosters for serving God in this world which can sometimes be very hostile to us. You can serve God in a hostile world because one, you are encompassed by God's safeguards. So you don't really need to fear man. Proverbs says the fear of man is a snare. The fear of man keeps us from being what God would call us to be. But we're encompassed by God's safeguards. Number two, you are enabled by God's power. So you're not on your own. It's not up to you and your strength. Uh, maybe even the strategy involved in a situation just the Lord leading you in the process. Not even necessarily in a given situation, dependent upon your ability to figure it all out. God enables as we step out in faith. And then three, you're an example of God's mercy. So you have the joy and the privilege to reflect his character to people who know nothing about him. And that can be a powerful, powerful thing. Let's pray. 
Lord, we praise you and thank you that we can speak of such things. Uh, our life can sometimes feel like just one day after another, and then we die, and I think a lot of people maybe feel that way, especially as they get older. And yet we can talk about things of eternal significance, eternal value that you would do through our lives that could draw others to yourself. And so, Lord, we just thank you. There's nothing special about us that we could talk about these things. But what Jesus did for us in making us your children, that we might represent you in this world that's just mind-boggling and we thank you so much for it lord may our lives be tools that seek to reach out to others and have the effect of drawing people to you through christ and we pray in his name amen